welcome to LinkedIn Live with Lauren Lefkowitz, executive coach extraordinaire. So first, let me start by being polite. How are you? How are you doing today? Uh, do, do you want me to tell you I'm fine or do, yeah. do I need to up level from there? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> okay. The reason I'm asking this sounds silly because maybe you could explain, you have a great theory, a great thesis yeah. of how people are in their career. And when they ask, usually people say, eh, I'm fine. Mm -hmm. And that's not good. Right. Laura? Right. Yeah. That's our automatic answer. Right to say I'm fine, it's fine, everything's fine. Um, and uh, and what happens to us in our careers and in our lives, but I see it you know, from my perspective in careers, is we start out young or youngish in the career that we're gonna probably have for a long time. And at the beginning, it's exciting. We get promotions, we get more money, maybe we get recruited to another company. And at some point, we hit this level where we've hit the top of the awesome stuff. And we don't know what else to do. So we hit this like barrier where everything feels fine. And fine's not actually fine. I don't believe that most people feel fine about most things. So what happens in our careers is we hit this top level. We don't know what else to do. So we take on more or different, and it all feels fine. And we don't know how to shift. We don't know how to up-level. We don't know how to get excited about our careers again. And if we're not fine, then we're terrible. And we don't wanna be terrible. We wanna go through life feeling like pretty okay. So we keep saying we're fine and convincing ourselves we're fine when we're actually really stuck in this trap, in this loop of going to work, going to sleep, going to work, repeat. And, uh, and it, I don't believe that it's fine to live your life that way. You know, it sounds, what is it? Is Thoreau who said most men, sorry, but I think he said men, most men. It was men, Thoreau times. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> you know, quiet, wait, wait, now and I forgot, li, li, uh, lives of desperation, right? Like quiet lives of desperate. I completely massacred that. Yeah. And then there's something that's, that he said about uh, like living life is on the other side of despair. We're both butchering yeah. it. Yeah. We're butchering yes. it. So we're, yeah. <laughs> Thanks, say that, that's, that's what he, yeah. That's what he said. He told me personally, Thoreau. He told oh, me good. that thing. Yeah. <laughs> so, so basically I think what, what, what I'm hearing is this, is that a lot of people, you hit a certain level in your career and then you you just plateau. And mm -hmm. you kind of shrug your shoulders. It's like that meme with the dog drinking or sipping tea and everything's on fire. He's like, hey, this is fine. Yes. <laughs> it's like a trap, as you were saying, you know, yeah. that you just get caught into it. And this is your life. And then after a while, you accept it. And this is the weird thing about life. Like, no matter what happens, it's weird. You could just accept it after a while. It becomes the norm. And you right. just go with it. And then, as you pointed out, you could go year after year after year, nothing changes. And then you look back and go, oh, my gosh, I'm, I'm just you're looking at your peers who succeeded and you're falling behind. So that's where I think you're driving, right? Where you have to kind of get yourself out of that comfort zone and yeah. push yourself, right? Yeah, there's this level of, uh, we call it comfort mm -hmm. because it's what we know, but it's actually just familiar. 
It's almost like if you think about a new quilt, a comforter, if you will, mm-hmm. um, if you think about a comforter, you get this new comforter and it is like so cozy and warm and it feels great. And you have it yeah. for years and years and years. And it gets a little bit threadbare and there's a hole where your pinky toe keeps catching <laughs> and it's dull. It's not so pretty anymore, but it's what you know. And you don't want to buy a new comforter because you've had this one forever. We do that in our careers. We get to this level where we know things. We're no longer used to being a beginner. So it's easier to stay in fine than it is to step out of our familiar zone and try something different and take the risk and go for a job that's two levels higher or go from a you know, VP C-suite job to being the CEO, to being in charge of a company. And so we tell ourselves all the things we can't have and why we can't have it. And we say, well, I'll do this for 15 more years and then I'll retire. And then I'll be happy with the money I've collected from all of these years of, you know, being fine. Well, let, let me, if I could ask you two, two, like a two-part question. Yeah. Is that, why do you think people just kind of stay that way? Are they afraid? And then how do you break out of it? If you want to do that, is there like a how-to guide-ish, you know, that you have that, you know, that you really on the inside know you need to make a change, but you don't know how to do it? Yeah. Uh, great question. So the the first question is, uh, you have to notice. We spend so much of our lives just getting through, going on autopilot, going through our day-to-day and getting through. And uh, there's, a, there's a metaphor or an analogy, I never quite know the difference, um, of the frog in the boiling pot of water. I don't know if you've heard it, but sure. the theory is if you throw a frog in a boiling pot of water, it will jump out from the shock of the heat. If you throw a frog in tepid water and you heat the water up slowly, it will boil to death. And that's what happens in our careers. If you went into a new company and the very first day somebody was outright harassing you or punched you in the face when you walked in the door, you're that's a boiling pot. You're going to walk <laughs> out of there and say, oh my gosh, I need to find another job right now. But when you go into a job or career you're excited about, you get those promotions, you get those raises, your vibrations up here, you are excited, you are happy. And then your manager yells at you. And so you're a little bit less happy, Mm -hmm. but like a lot of what's around you is still pretty great. And then they don't give raises the next year. And then you don't get a promotion. And then you get a lot of, you're great here. We can't imagine you in any other position. And not only do you lose your threshold for better than fine, you also lose your confidence for what you can have. If you're told repeatedly, you need to wait your turn, which we hear a lot, or you're great in this position, we can't imagine you anywhere else, or you just don't have the elusive executive presence, you believe that. So a lot of clients that I work with come to me telling me what they're willing to give up in order to get something else. I want to change industries, or I want a different job, or I want to change departments. I'm willing to give up salary, or I know I'll have to take a a level cut, Um, or I probably can't have people reporting to me in that position because I'll be new to that kind of thing. So I think what happens is we talk ourselves into all the things we can't have. And if we can't have all of those things, well, we may as well stay here with what we know and what we're successful at. 
And like I said, we don't like to be beginners. When we're in our 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, we don't like to be beginners. We don't like to not know. And so many of us who find ourselves in this fine trap are high achievers, high achievers, workaholics, people pleasers, perfectionists, who help everybody else with everything. You come with to us with a problem, we will solve it. And we think that if we can't solve our own problems, that we are unsolvable. We're the ones, we're the ones who have, and I see my screen just got blurry. I'm not sure what happened there, mm. um, but uh, there we are. Uh, but we're the ones who can't be fixed. We're the ones who can't have what we want. We are made to just serve other people. So how do you fix it is a great question. Um, first, you have to recognize you're not broken. This isn't, this isn't let's fix something that's broken. It's let's elevate from where we are. So there's a process. Um, some people can do this on their own. Some people do it with books. Some people do it with a coach. I recommend a coach, not surprisingly. But the first thing to really do is to notice what's not working. What do you not enjoy? What does not drive you? What is not making you thrive? Is it the environment? Is it the job? Is it the whole career? Is it that you've always wanted to be an entrepreneur, but you're scared to do it? Is it that you are ready to be a CEO, but the people in your company keep telling you you're great as an, as an AVP? So it's recognizing what's not working, recognizing what you don't want, because that's where the cobwebs are in your head. That's what keeps you stuck is telling yourself you can't have all these things. Then once you've cleared that, it's figuring out what you do want and what skills you have, what value you bring, what your own values are, and how does that all coming together determine who you are as a professional, not just what you do, but who you are. Then you can really start thinking about what of that is transferable to what you want to do. What even are the options out there? Because we get so tunnel vision into what we know how to do and what we know we've done. And there are so many different careers and so many different jobs out there. And then it's about gaining the confidence to go after all of it and not going into a job search or a uh, quest for promotion or raises or all of those kinds of things with these notions that you have to give something up, right? I, I see a lot of people who take some sort of cut pay or level in order to follow their dream, but that's not really their dream. Their dream is to up-level wherever they go next, to make more money wherever they go next, to be happier, to have better boundaries. But we tell ourselves what we can't have. So it's clearing that so that we can go after what we actually want and what we deserve and are qualified for. Now, on the other side of the equation, Lauren, is it fair for some people who may say, you know, I've been working, I was a workaholic for 20 years, you know, missed out on time with my family, my children. Um, and now I just want to kind of downshift and just take it easy a little bit. I don't want to, I'm not, you know, old enough to retire. I don't want to quit. I just want to just chill a little bit. Now, I guess that's a little different, right? Than the fine thing that I think that probably would make sense for some people. They just need to disconnect and disengage for a bit. Does that make mm -hmm. sense? Yeah. So what you're talking about is burnout, mm -hmm. right? And, and burnout can lead to, I want something different. I want to downshift. I want to end my career in an easier job. Not everybody is motivated by a next level or a next income level. 
Mm -hmm. um, everybody has different motivations. I had one client who loved her company. Her pay was great. Uh, and all she wanted to was, was to not be on the front facing side of HR. And she could not figure out how to tell her management that she wanted to be on the back end operations side of HR. And that was our work together. She was not looking for up level. Mm -hmm. She, she was in the last 10 years of her career. She was looking for a quieter job where she could do analytical work and still serve the company from an HR capacity. So everybody's a little bit different in their motivation. Most of the people who come to me are looking to up level, but it's, it's not exclusively that. The thing that's important to remember is that you have choices, right? So I said um, in the discovery process, you figure out your value and your values. And for some people, more money is not part of their values. They're making enough to live or they have a spouse or partner who uh, helps with income or is the breadwinner and they want to coast. They want to work in a storefront, in a gift shop. They want to uh, be a receptionist and step down from a you know senior IT position. We get to do whatever we want with you know the limitation of of what we can control, but we get to do whatever we want. We our responsibility is to figure out what that is mm -hmm. and then how to get it. And so often we jump to right into the job search. And we're like, oh, I've put out 300 applications. I'm not getting any calls back. And it's because we haven't done that work to figure out what's fine. That's not actually fine. What can be better? Mm -hmm. What are we after? And that's also when we find people going into interviews and saying every job looks the same. I, I was one of those people um, before, before I realized that I could have a different life. I was one of those people. I would go to interviews for other mm -hmm. HR jobs. I was an HR professional for 20 years. And I would say, well, you know, this job feels the same. And at least here I have the, you know, the equity uh, of people knowing who I am and trusting me. So if I want to take a day off, I can. I didn't. But if I want to take a day off, I can. Mm -hmm. If I want to take it easy, I can. And there I was working 80 plus hours a week trying to continue to prove myself to myself, um, but, and trying to people please and, and in that sort of high achiever cycle. And when I finally recognized that I could be helped, I was fixable. Uh, I hired my own coach, which, you know, after 15 years of coaching other people mm -hmm. somehow had never occurred to me. And what I recognized was we are not good at assessing ourselves. We are not good at just turning what we're good at for other people to us and going with it because we are much better at self-criticism than saying we're amazing, right? If somebody asks you, uh, what are your strengths and weaknesses? You're gonna put out three strengths. And if you're being honest, right? If you're in an interview, you're finessing that answer. Mm -hmm. But if you're being honest, you can maybe put out three strong, oh, I'm driven, I'm hardworking, I'm a clever you know, solution provider. But I'm also a procrastinator and I also write and we heavy sigh and we have 42 things to say about what's wrong with us. So often we need some sort of help to figure out what's amazing about us. What do we value? What are our values? What do we actually want from the next thing? And instead, we tend to live this life where we do and do and do so that we can have money, status, 
job satisfaction so that we can be happy later when we retire. And if your priorities are balance and fun and maybe something less with less pressure than what you've been in, then yeah, you absolutely get to choose to downshift to something else. But we forget that we have the choice. You know, I've noticed, and you've probably seen this too, during the pandemic and kind of right afterwards, to me as a Gen Xer, I saw like a huge shift of what happened, you know, when, you know, I was growing up, going to school, you know, working, you know, the idea was climb that corporate ladder, keep going up higher, you know, you want to manage a person and 10 people and 20 and what's so, so on. And, uh, you know, throughout the pandemic and afterwards, it made so many people reassess what they really wanted. And to your point, as you were detailing, is that a lot of them saying, you know what, maybe I don't, you know, maybe I don't want to go after these things. You know, I, I, you know, been burnt out, exhausted. You know, this is a pandemic. Let, let me just, just take some time and figure out like what I wanted to do. Now I might get back on the backtrack or maybe not, but I just need that time to figure out what's right for me right here or now. And that was such a novel thing that you didn't see that before, right? Yeah. As uh, also a Gen Xer, we were this generation of people who had boomer parents and some greatest generation parents who uh, tried very hard to keep their jobs for as many mm -hmm. years as possible. That was, that was their work cycle. Mm -hmm. And we came into the workforce and we learned that we had, we should stay places for a while, but work super hard and impress everybody so that we either got promoted from within or we got recruited out. And that worked for us for a while. And then we were also the, you can have it all generation, right? You can be a parent. You can take care of your parents as they age. You can have a full-time job, go do it all. And we did. We, we worked really hard to do it all. And the pandemic came and we all went home for two weeks <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and we suddenly realized, gosh, it's easier to help my kid with their homework if I'm here right. and I'm between meetings and I can take a break. Wow, I can get laundry done during the week and still be super productive at work. So we recognize this new opportunity for balance which is, you know, sort of a misnomer. I really call it integration of work and home in a way that felt healthier for us, in a way that took some of that pressure off of us to have it all. And we found new ways to have it all. And now Gen X is the loudest about not wanting to go back to the way things were. And when we were in the office, we were trying to convince millennials and Gen Zers to be here longer, work harder, take on more stretch projects. Now the Gen X, the Gen Xers are saying like, how do we find some more, you know, boundary? How do we find uh, balance in our day so that we're not working into the middle of the night? So yeah, I think the pandemic was a beautiful opportunity. And also, I think there are a lot of confused people out there who, uh, and I was one of those people whose identities were work because we were working 50, 60, 70 plus hours a week. We went home during the pandemic and we were like, what do I do with myself? Mm -hmm. So there's, there's been some discovery. There's been more anxiety and depression uh, emerging 
and and more talk about that, which I think is a very positive thing that we're actually saying those words out loud and having conversations about that. And I think that for Gen X in particular, there is this opportunity to not just look forward to retirement in five, 10, 20 years, but to really look forward to now. Who do I want to be now? How do I want things to be now? And how do I do that? So I have worked with clients who have no interest in going anywhere. They want to stay where they are and they want to learn to boundary set, learn to say no, learn to say yes to the things that actually interest them and, and raise their hands and find the time to raise their hands for things that matter to them, not just because they feel this sense of responsibility because they're the glue that has held the company together for all of these years. So well, to me, there could be, let's just boil down, there could be maybe two different paths. And let's say a person doesn't want to leave their company, but they're really not fine where they are. They feel they could do better and they mm -hmm. want to go and, and you know do something more meaningful within the organization, or they've made up their mind, you know, I tried my best. It's not working. I want to go outside. Can you help people who are watching this now? And then as it gets replayed, you know, like almost like a how-to, like, what do you do if you want to move up in the ladder? you know, and keep growing or maybe moving lateral or job mm -hmm. crafting or doing something different. Or you just said, you know what, I've tried, it's not working. I want to go and do something new to chart those paths. Yeah. I think, um, so almost every client I work with, when they come to me, they tell me why they need to leave their company, that they want to set up new habits wherever they go next. Mm -hmm. Um, and I would say most of them do end up moving, but some of them don't, uh, including that client I was telling you about who went from HR, you know, front-facing HR to HR operations because they think they've already failed where they are and they think it's too late to change. I say, use your current workplace as your sandbox, right? There are, uh, I'm speaking in broad generalizations sure. and I'm, don't come back and sue me for this, <laughs> but- yeah. There are actually very few things you can do in boundary setting, in reaching for changes to your job that are going to get you fired, right? We get fired for not performing. We get fired for all kinds of reasons. But, you know, if, if the thing we're worried about is getting fired, it's like you come in and you say, it's all over for all of you. I'm not doing it anymore, right? Then you're going to eventually lose your job. But Generally, our fear, we make up this story, and it feels very true, that if we don't do all of the things we're doing, if we don't juggle all of the balls we're already juggling, we're going to get fired. Because we're going to seem lazy, we're going to seem like we don't care anymore, like we're not in it. And we also think that once we've been handed a task or responsibility or a project, that the people around us forget we're doing that, and they don't think we're busy. So we have to keep raising our hand, we have to keep doing more. So one thing to test out is to say no to one thing mm -hmm. or stop doing something you've been doing and see if it matters, right? Sometimes we do reports or uh, have meetings or, you know, do uh, tracking for projects in a certain way that actually nobody looks at, doesn't really matter. Um, I've had clients who've stopped doing something and nobody has ever asked for it again. <laughs> because we get into doing things we're used to doing. So 
the next thing to think about, so, so that's the first thing is what tiny boundaries can you set that aren't going to make waves? And what does that change? The next thing that I recommend to people is schedule yourself some minutes of increments of time, whether it's five minutes or 15 minutes, block it on your calendar and do not talk to anybody. And if you work in an open space, that means walking out. For one of my clients, it meant going into a bathroom stall and just standing there <laughs> for five minutes just to be on her own. It shows you that the world around you, the, the company around you doesn't fall apart because you take time for yourself. And then the third thing I would say is get some ideas, right? You need to be setting boundaries. You need to be taking time for yourself so that your brain has space to come up with ideas. But if you want to stay in the same company that you're in and you see opportunity for ways you can get involved in other things and potentially laterally move or move up or even move down as you're downshifting in your career, go to your management with those ideas. If you go to your management and you say, you know, I'm a little bit bored in this position and I'm really interested in marketing and I'm wondering if I can help Jenny out with, with some of her marketing work. Your boss is going to say, like, I, I don't know what to tell you. But if you go to your boss and you say, I'd like to do some cross-training with Jenny in marketing because I'm really interested in social media. And I think that if I have a better sense of how social media works, I can impact our customer success department in this way. And it's also a growth opportunity for me. It's a very different conversation. So if you come in with a strategic take on what you want to do and why, even if it doesn't benefit your department, if it benefits you and your career growth, and you can get specific enough that you're not making Jenny and marketing figure out what you can do to help her, and you're not making your boss figure out why you're bored and what he or she or they need to do to make you feel better about your job, not only are you going to have the energy, the positive energy of, of up-leveling or different leveling or, or learning new things, but you're going to appear strategic and helpful and interested and invested in the company. So that's one way to do it. Before you start jumping to other things though, you have to assess, and I always come back to this with people, you have to assess what you don't want anymore and how to start backing away from that. And you have to find time for yourself. Gen Xers are really terrible at that, at finding time for ourselves especially when we're in the middle of kids and partners mm -hmm. and parents and other responsibilities as well as work. But once you start finding and carving out those five minutes, those 15 minutes, the time that you, that you see being successful for you to have some time for yourself, you get hungrier for it. And we carve out the time that's important to us. We've made work in a lot of cases, the most important thing in our lives and everything else fits around it. And I think there's a much more well-rounded way to look at ourselves and to look at the world around us and figure out how we integrate everything. That makes a lot of sense. And, and how about now, if you want to say, I'm leaving, I'm going to get out of here and plan your escape route. Yeah. Uh, so I, I love that you said escape because yeah. that's what we do, right? <laughs> We're like, I can't take it anymore. I got to get out of here. So the first mindset shift that needs to happen is I want to go to here. 
instead of, I want to escape this, it's crafting what you want instead. And it's running towards something instead of running away from something. Because when we run away, we make snap decisions. And then we end up in another job where we have the same habits. We've probably gone after something similar to what we already had. And that is often when we think, well, this is just it. This is just how it is. This is the type of job I'm qualified for. And now it'll be fine. You know, I should have stayed at that company or it'll be fine here, or I'll just go get another job for 10,000 more dollars somewhere else doing the same thing. And then one day I'll retire and be happy. So if you want to get a new job, a different job, it's, it's figuring out what you do want. And then it's crafting your resume. And I always suggest getting help with this too, going to a resume writer or a resume writing company doing your research to make sure it's somebody reputable, but really crafting your resume based on what you want to do. I had one client who uh, was an account manager. Her company allowed her to take on extra work. I say allowed because it led to her working 60, 70, 80 hours a week for no extra pay. And she did speaking engagements. She did change management stuff. um, And she liked that 10, 20% of her job. She didn't want to be an account manager anymore. So when her resume was put together, it was focused on change management. She ended up getting a job for double the money in a change management position. So you don't have to, your resume is not a job description. Your resume is not just a look at what you have done. It's a look at who you are as a professional, what you have to offer, and what you've accomplished in each of your positions that lend it lends itself to what you want to do next. So I was an HR generalist um, and I made it to the executive level in the corporate world. And when I was considering whether I was gonna take my side gig coaching full-time, which is what I eventually did, um, or whether I was gonna continue in HR, because all of the generalist positions felt the same to me, I was starting to recraft my resume to specialize in HR communications and to move into a specialty. But if I had not crafted my resume for HR communications and I was applying to HR communications jobs with a generalist resume, they probably wouldn't have looked at my resume because they wouldn't have seen enough writing. They would have seen too much generalist work when really I had done a lot of HR writing. So it's taking the pieces of your career that you're really good at and you love. We often just go with what we're good at but also what you love and putting it on there. And that's not to say, well, I don't really like budget management. I'm not going to put that on there, right? There's some skills you want to put on there. If you manage a $10 million budget, that's probably important to know if you're trying to up-level. Not that you're going to necessarily be a person who manages budgets for the company, but it's, it's important to include that kind of stuff. But if there's a job you don't want to do anymore, that your absolute career you're not interested in anymore, don't keep that on your resume. Don't apply for jobs that have that in the job description. You get to go after whatever you've carved out as your expertise. So frustrating. You can appreciate this at HR, and I see this from the recruiting side, is that you could have brilliant, amazing, gifted people, but they've been doing something for 10, 15 years, And even when they try to tweak their resume to everything that you're talking about, 
you still get that resistance because they look at you who you were, not what you want to be. Mm-hmm. And for for job seekers, I know for them, it's it, it's painful because they're like, I want to break out. I don't want to be fine. I want to break out of what I'm doing. Right. I don't want to be a generalist HR person. I want to deal with communications. I want to deal with benefits, whatever the DEI, whatever it may be. Yeah. But they're holding me back because you know they're just looking at what I did. Like I see it with LinkedIn, a big push they have is skills-based stuff, mm-hmm. you know, where it's like not just what your title says, but what skills. I'm still up in the air because I, you know. In theory, but yeah, but I don't see that a lot. So how can people push through? Because that's a lot. You get a lot of twofold. You get a lot of where you try to do that pivot or reinventing yourself, and then you get pushed back. The other thing to go back to when we say escaping, I noticed that happens a lot where the reason I said escape, because people wait so long till they're just, they can't, they're just burnt out, angry, miserable, frustrated. And then when they interview, they don't come across well because they're carrying all that baggage around and they just stayed too long. And now they're just, they just, just, they're in a bad spot because if you're interviewing someone and they're angry, they're blaming their coworkers, their boss, you're not going to hire them because they could just be blaming me, (laughs) you know, know, when you go to another interview and who wants that? Right. So how can someone know before it's too late? to figure out, all right, I'm sliding down, let's say in terms of escaping, right? I'm sliding down this path. Is, are there signs like red flags going where it's like, okay, if you don't stop now, it's just going to get worse and worse and worse. Yeah. I'm going to give you the pretty story and then I'm going to give you the real story. Okay. The pretty story <laughs> is you should be assessing how you feel about your job every quarter. And if you have had two quarters in a row where you feel blah, or you're so scared to go into your manager's office or your CEO's office, uh, or talk to the board. If you're already a CEO that you just feel like you're in hypervigilance mode, like any, any moment, any time you're going to get in trouble, you're going to be made to feel bad. You got to notice that. And, Mm -hmm. and it could be every quarter. It could be every month. It, you know, depends on, on you. But it's really paying attention and not just letting time go by until one day you wake up and you can't get yourself out of bed because you just don't want to go in anymore. And sometimes that toxicity shows up fast, right? There's a change in management um, or somebody has something going on at home and they're bringing it to work and they're bringing it at you. That's not really what I'm talking about. Those are those are situations where you you often do need to escape. So the pretty answer is pay attention all the time. Notice. You know, you say that's pre- also not real. You know, you Sorry, say pretty. Ahead. No, you say pretty, but I think it's 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 not it's it's like grounded in reality. It's it's something where, and I really like what you said. I really like that idea. And just just to, if I could echo it again for for the audience, because what I'm hearing is this: is that you every quarter. I would even think maybe even more than that to 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 kind of keep track. Uh, weekly might be too much. I don't know. Individually, you could do what you got to do. But to keep track of like, all right, am I gaining traction? Am I not? Am I going backwards? Am I going forwards? You know, am I being respected or not? Am I being appreciated? Am I being supported or not? And this way, if you could see the time continuum, you know, Mm -hmm. as you point out, like one quarter and another quarter, it's not changing. Maybe it's even going down. Like this is not 
It's like a graph, right? It's like you see it going down. That's not a good sign. Right. Let me stop. So, and I think people, do, if you don't write it down, you don't pay attention, you just kind of, it just flitters away, right? It's like, it yeah. just, just goes off in the wind. But if you actually have it down and writing, you know, I, and also I like sometimes writing, you know, not just putting it on a Google doc or whatever, because the, by doing it, it makes it real. And then you mm -hmm. hold yourself accountable for it. And yeah. you say, hey, hey, Jack, dummy, you've been writing down for the last, you know, three quarters, how miserable yeah. you are. Come on, you got to yeah. you got to do something. You can't keep doing it because it's not changing. It's just not working. So I like that idea for people to, I don't know, maybe you got to coin a phrase, Lauren, for what it could be like some sort of diary, some sort of whatever, <laughs> to make sure you're keeping yourself honest in terms of what you're doing. Well, it's funny that you say that, Jack, because I have actually a free tool Oh, okay. Linked on my LinkedIn. It's yeah. called the fine as a trap inventory. And it walks you mm -hmm. through a bunch of different aspects of work, your environment, the money, the actual job, your boss, your coworkers, all of the factors, the number of mm -hmm. hours you're working, your level. And it asks you, is this great? Is it fine? Or is it terrible? And then you go back and assess what's the balance, right? Right. Is more of what you're doing great and you're enjoying it. So the things that are fine or terrible can either be worked or aren't as bad as the great is great. Mm -hmm. um, or are you seeing a downward trend? If you're doing this, this inventory every month or every quarter, are you seeing a downward trend where you're seeing more things that are fine or terrible? And you get to pay attention to it. So I say it's the pretty version because we so often get lost in our mm -hmm. work, but it's a doable version. It's something I look at now for myself all the time, right. sometimes on my own, sometimes with a coach, sometimes with a friend mm -hmm. to, to talk about the things that are bugging me about oh. my work and you know, what, now what? right? What do I do with that? Do, does that, is that something I outsource? Is that something that I just don't do anymore? Is that something I learned to like? Um, or is it like the little niggling thing that I don't really like to do, but I yeah. do it anyway. So, so that's, that's the proactive version. Um, and, and a great way to get proactive with yourself. And if you don't like my checklist, you can make your own, right? Mm -hmm. What are the areas of work that you pay the most attention to and how are they going? And check in with yourself and build yourself a spreadsheet. Watch trends, right? Give assign a one, two, three number so that you can actually see numerically how how you're evaluating. The the more realistic way, and I think we're seeing it more now because the pandemic highlighted for us what burnout feels like because we had to stop and assess. Mm -hmm. Uh is, is to get some kind of support, whether through a coach or a mentor or a coworker or a former coworker, um, to get some kind of support and to be able to say, I need to escape and to figure out what can you do while you're escaping, while you're figuring out how to escape, what can you do to make things better where you are? And that's the thing we always forget. We have choices where we are. We can go to somebody and say, I'm so overloaded. I can barely breathe. Here are some ideas for what we can take off of my plate and where it can go. Or I don't enjoy this job anymore. Here are some things I'm interested within the company. Or I'm not interested in this place anymore at all. I'm going to start setting boundaries. I'm going to start being a little bit less of a high achiever so that my energy goes less towards my current job 
and more towards what I'm running towards. And I figure out what I want next. And for some people, there has to be a bridge job in between. So I have talked to a bunch of people over the last several years who have been in a job for five or 10 or 15 years, and they get a bridge job, which if, if folks who are watching don't know what that is, it's a tied me over job. It's a, I got to get out of here mm -hmm. so that I can be in a job, be making money, clear my head and figure out who I want to be when I grow up. And you do that for six months or a year or two years while you figure out what you want next. And often that gives you the space and the energy that maybe you can't get if you're in a toxic workplace that you do need to escape from. So sometimes it's escape and sometimes it's play in the playground where you are, find space and boundaries and, and energy to do the work more slowly to figure out what's next. You know, just to go back a little bit to something you alluded to in terms of both being in the office and looking, I, I advise people to kind of hedge your bets so that you want to, and this is almost, this is kind of challenging to do, but it's doable, as you pointed out, you want to be able to play the game where you are, do your job, come in smiling, do everything so no one would notice any change in you. Mm -hmm. Because what happens a lot of times when people just burnt out and they're angry, you can tell right away. So you oh, just yeah. don't want to, you don't want to be that person. You just want to be happy, motivated, do your work. But meanwhile, you're hedging your bets by finding some recruiters, some career coaches, <laughs> tapping into your network for leads. You do that stealthily because you don't want to blow up your spot, but you do that. So this way you have kind of both things going just in case. Yeah. So you have, you have, you know, options and with the bridge one with me, I, I don't know how to process that Lord. And maybe let, let me kind of walk it through with you and, and we could talk about it because this is a big thing for people. What I've seen through the lens of a recruiter, oftentimes someone either moves too quickly because they're just so ticked off. They're like, I'm out of here. And they're not thinking clearly and they go and they take another job. But usually that job Instead of going upwards, you're going down because you just want to you just you're just so aggravated with the situation. You could take whatever you could take. And then you realize, oh my gosh, what did I do? Now you're in this new role. You're not really happy. You don't really like it. It was like a rebound relationship. Mm -hmm. Now you're in this new one. And then if I leave in like three to six months, and then I look again, and when I interview, the interview is going to be like, hey Jack, why did you move? Oh, I moved because I was ticked off. My boss is a jerk. Okay, that's not going to go over well, you know? So it's, I get the bridge job, but I wonder, is there a way you could do it where it doesn't stop your forward momentum in your career? Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I, I would never advise someone to leave for a lower level, yeah. less money job. I think if you if you are working that hard to escape your company, that you're willing to take the cuts, then, then something big is going on. And there may be an opportunity okay. for therapy. There may be an opportunity for, uh, for a coach. There may also be just such an untenable situation that you have to leave. And that right? happens. This is and not that always happens. on the individual. Yeah. A lot of times it's on the company. And lately uh, it happens a lot because like we're in a crazy yeah. time. So yeah, it's yeah. common. Exactly. Yeah. And so, um, uh, you know, I think that there is sort of a, a poetry 
in how you talk about yourself, right? There's some PR to learn about yourself. Well, you know, I moved to this company um, because I thought the opportunity was X, Y, and Z. What I've learned is it's actually really similar to my last job. And that's not what I was looking for. I'm really looking for whatever your company does, right? So there's some finesse in there. There's also, there also are times when I left a good job for what seemed like a better job and I don't agree with the company's ethics Mm. or, you know, there are a hundred reasons why you might leave in a short time period. I always, when I was in corporate HR, I always loved hiring someone who'd been with a company for 10 or 15 or 20 years and then had a one year stint because it gave them time to discover what they wanted and didn't want. So if they were going to accept the job I was offering, it was because they were asking the right questions now. It's so interesting because from, we talked about before about Gen X's and let's talk about other generations like millennials and Gen Z's, their mindset is so drastically different. Oh yeah. Gen Z. And I I don't want to generalize. My kids are Gen Z's. I don't want to generalize, but they're more apt to say, you know what? Eh, I don't like it. I'm going to do something else. Yeah. Doesn't it doesn't phase them, move on to the next one, do something different, switch careers, go back to school, do this, do that. It's a different, a different way of viewing things. And I think that's kind of healthy. It used to be, Lauren, when I turn back the clock, I don't want to date myself, but I would come into the office on a Monday super early because the resumes were faxed over. And if I didn't get there sure. and there are too many resumes from the Sunday New York Times classify, they spill out onto the floor and they get all confused with the resumes. So if I, sh- if I shared a resume with a client that was only persons there a year or a year and a half too, they would be like, what are you doing, Jack? This person's a job hopper. Like, what do you mean? Two years? Now, let's say in the tech sector, they're all about, hey, you know what? Go for a year, Google, learn everything you can, build your network, and then maybe go to Apple. Learn as much as possible, <laughs> build a network, rinse yeah. and repeat and keep doing it. And that's how you kind of build this like amazing network that one day you could do your big startup and you have all these connections and you've learned all these things. And it's like you're a big shot management consultant because, oh, this is what I did at Apple. This is what I did at Microsoft. This is what I did at Google. So it's changing a lot. Yes. And I wonder if like people who have a little gray in their beard could go (laughs) and and adopt some of those other practices, which (laughs) seem more healthy and nicer that you can just say like for a bridge job, like, because think about what was my immediate reaction bridge job? Oh my gosh, is that going to put you in a bad spot? Right? Like, like this kind of defensive, oh no, is that possible? Right? That was like my, my honest initial reaction, but it shouldn't be. It should be like, all right, it's not working. F it. Let me find something that works. Mm-hmm. And to yeah. give millennials and Gen Zs their due, I think that's a much healthier, smarter way to navigate a career. Yeah. Well, Gen, Gen Z and the younger millennials are being raised by elder millennials and Gen Xers. And they all watch their parents stay in jobs that really stress them out. They don't want that. Yeah. And because as a generation, and again, we're both really generalizing, but as a generation, yeah. The Gen Zers aren't willing to stick around. So we're going to have a retention issue. The Gen Xers who are going to be, you know, the, the boomers are starting right. to retire. The Gen Xers who are running companies now 
are going to have to make it nice for the Gen Zers yeah. if we want them to stay. Well, they got good memes, right? Bare, yeah. bare, bare minimum Mondays, you know, loud quitting, quiet quitting, <laughs> right. you know, all that kind of stuff. So they got that going for them, which is cool. Acting right. your wage. So right. So Automatic I, mouse movers. <laughs> yeah. So maybe we got to pick up on that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. You know, there the I think the younger generations are recognizing something that Gen Xers didn't do a great job recognizing. And some Gen Xers are starting to recognize it, mm -hmm. which is that work does not have to just be this serious, hard thing. We can find joy in the work that we're doing. We can find joy in accomplishment and also go home at the end of the day or go to our kids' t-ball game or take the morning off to get a massage and the work will still get done because we're committed to it. And we did not do a good job recognizing that <laughs> as Gen Xers. We we just yeah. came, in, came in early, right? I always tried to be earliest and latest so that the people who came in after me and left earlier than I did thought, oh, Lauren comes in early. And the people who stayed late were like, oh, Lauren's always here till the end of the night. And so I looked like a hard worker. I was yeah. working. I wasn't using my automatic mouse mover, but I, <laughs> I was working. Um, but it was, you know, our generation was to uh, to outperform each other. So you're the hardest worker. You, you can appreciate it. So in my writings, you know, before I was writing for Forbes, I was writing blogs and what have you. I would I would advise people, and this is so cringy now, that you know you put your jacket behind your chair and have like, you know, a half-eaten bagel on your desk, so that people when they come in would think, oh my gosh, Jack was here like what four in the morning, and then. <laughs> And then similarly at night, you want to wait for everybody else to leave. And then you can go because then like, okay, oh, goodbye. And like, wow, that Jack, I'm just going to stay here all night. So yes, yeah. now it changes completely. Like that's ridiculous. Same right. way too, where my my kids think this, this is like, you know, crazy that I would have to wake up like six in the morning to be traffic, to commute into Manhattan because First, we lived in Manhattan, and then we we moved to the suburbs. You know, you have one kid, two kids, move to the suburbs kind of thing. And it'd be three hours round trip, easy. And if there's an mm -hmm. accident or snow or whatever, it could be four hours. Yeah. And you would miss their, like you said, t-ball games, ballet, shows, sport, everything. Mm -hmm. and, and now I've been working remotely. I can't fathom getting, you know, Going to the train, right? Driving to the train, waiting in the cold outside for the train to come, <laughs> getting on a crowded, warm train. Now that you, you, you know you're feeling lousy, people are coughing and sneezing on right. you. You go in, and then you got to <laughs> walk the crowds, and then it's it's crazy. It just doesn't make yeah. sense. They spend twenty dollars for breakfast, twenty dollars for lunch, right? Plus Madness. the cost of the train, plus the just the time, Madness, right? right? And yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, we're not we're not up for that anymore. The pandemic taught us that we can do most of us most things from home. And uh and the ones who can, um I have a, a newer client who has a job where legitimately they have to go into the office and uh they're tired of it. And what they're looking for now is a shift in industry yeah. so that they can have a job at a company where there is a hybrid workforce, where there is opportunity to work from home because this client is missing their kids' concerts, is missing their kids' sports activities because 
they're at work in the city and they're taking the train back and forth, you know, out into the suburbs. We just don't have that kind of time. We don't have that kind of patience for that kind of time anymore. Because we got to discover during the pandemic that it could be different. And even if we were people who had to go into our jobs because of the nature of the job, we saw our friends and family not having to do that anymore. So we know it can be different. And we're just not up for it anymore. What I'm concerned, curious about your take on it, I see more and more where companies are trying to push people to come back. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know if it's because they're worried to give them the best faith is that they worry about the ecosystem. Let's say whether it's San Francisco or New York City is that if you don't come back to these buildings, you know, tenants, they're going to go bankrupt, hand the keys, but then the regional and small banks that made the loans, they're going to topple. And then the whole ecosystem around New York City or San Fran or Chicago or Philly just falls apart because now you don't have people coming in to buy pizza, to get their nails done, to get their hair done, to get, you know, shop, whatever. And so you just feel this kind of push. If you notice that they went from, you know, remote, everything, that's all. Then it's like hybrid. Now it's hybrid three days. Then now it's almost like maybe Friday will be off. That's the thing. I mean, what, do you have any sense? Like, what do you think is going to play out? I think we went to such an extreme so fast with mm-hmm. the pandemic that there we're now hitting where the ball has bounced to the other side of the court. And now we're hitting the other extreme of like everybody back. We need things to mm-hmm. be the way they, they used to be. This was the way things always were. And it was great this way. It was fine this way. And, um, and I think we will end up somewhere in the middle, right? Cause a ball bounces back and forth and it eventually settles somewhere. So I think that ultimately we'll end up somewhere in the middle. I do think that the younger generation has a disadvantage not being in the office. And, and you know, you certainly brought up the points about the, the economic ecosystem, but there's also a social ecosystem yes. of learning how to be a grown-up professional, learning how to interact with your coworkers, how not to interact with your coworkers. Uh, we're super casual on Slack and I love Slack, but you know, if we're just talking on Slack and the occasional Zoom, Mm -hmm. we're not getting a sense of what it's like to be in a big meeting, to present in a big meeting, to be standing in front of people and telling them, you know, trying to convince them of something. Uh, And I don't think the world yet is so remote oriented that that need is going to go away. That need for the, for socialization is going to go away. And I I do think companies can be successful fully remote or fully remote with the occasional company retreat or something like that. But I don't get the sense that we have enough, especially the older generations, we have enough of of a want for that and enough savvy to run a remote company as though we're in person. And so I think eventually we need to land somewhere in the middle so that we're keeping that financial ecosystem alive we're not all losing money to our leases. Um, and we're also keeping that social ecosystem alive where we get to know, we get to see how the older generation who's been working you know, 10, 15, 20, 30 years, um, how they behave. And we can take from that as a younger generation, I say we like them in the younger generation, <laughs> they can take from it's that. It's all mindset, Lord. I think of myself yeah. as like way younger than I am. So that's, yeah, same, and I'm going to go with it, yeah. 
Um, but the younger generation then can see what are their elders doing? What do they like about that? And what do they not like about that? Right? Like I reported to boomers for most of my career. And there were things I really loved about the way that they managed and their dedication and their organizational skills and structure in a lot of ways. And then I looked at other things and I said, I don't want to be that kind of manager who checks in every day. What are you working on now? Who stops by your desk and like leans over your cubicle and says like, what have you accomplished today? Right. I I don't, uh, that did not resonate with me. And that resonated with a lot of boomers. And the, the Gen Zers in particular haven't had the opportunity to see all of that in action to decide. And I think, I think they're going to need that. So I, my hope is that we end up somewhere in the middle, that if you're a remote company, you get really good at being a remote company, that if you're an in-person company for the sake of being in person, <laughs> you implement some flexibility and some hybrid, um, <clears throat> And that if you are a company that can be fully hybrid or or have flexibility, like do that because you also then have the opportunity to bring in more diversity, especially if your company is in an area of the of the country or an area of the world where there is not diversity. If you are open to remote or if you're open to remote, but you come in once a quarter and the company pays for you to come in once a quarter so you can meet with everybody, then you can be hiring a, a greater diversity of humans to contribute to your company, even if you're not in an area where that attracts a diversity mm-hmm. of humans. Makes a lot of sense. But let me get your take on this with, let's say the tech sector is like, last I saw about 200,000 people laid off in 2023, you know, layoffs on Wall Street, the media, that seems the kind of thing to do. By all mm-hmm. these execs, hey, we lay off people, our stock price goes up because they're showing look how prudent we are and cutting expenses. So for that, I noticed it's really hard for job seekers, you know, both to find a job, but also from a mental, you know, wellness, emotional well-being thing. What would you say to people who are kind of going through this? And I hear this all the time where go on three, six, nine interviews over, you know, six months, seven months, meeting people, having to do projects, and then you're just ghosted. And then you have to do it again and again. Like, what kind of advice can you give to people in this? And in a way, in some of my writing, I'm referring to this as like a white collar recession, yeah. you know, for, for kind of college educated office workers, you know, the laptop class, which is really kind of a nasty kind of term that some people use. But what would you say to people like who are having to go through this all the time? Because it's rough and it's not fine that they're just almost being abused in the process. Yeah. yeah. Um, a couple of things. Yeah. One is take breaks from looking when you can. And if you can, some people are not in a position where they can take a break because they need to have an income and they don't have one right now. Um, But even scheduling those 15 minute increments or half hour increments or whatever you can manage, if you're making your work day looking for a job because you've been laid off or you've left a company, um, nobody works all the hours in a row, right? We meet at the, the water cooler or we take a break to Slack or we take a break to do laundry or we take a break to have lunch as unbelievable as that sounds. And uh, so, so 
do that, right? So, so if you're job seeking, take breaks, whether it's a whole week, whether it's minutes or, or hours, you, you have to take breaks. You also have to mix up your tactics. I see a lot of people who have left big tech in particular mm-hmm. um, in that sort of showman kind of way of, mm-hmm. you know, look at us being prudent, we're cutting costs. And they're going after the other big tech companies. There are tons of small tech companies, emerging tech companies. Hearing aids just went over the counter. That's a whole new line of mm-hmm. tech, right? That's that's emerging. Nobody has experience in the hearing aid tech industry because it was always restricted. And uh, and that's just one example. If you want to stay in tech, look at the smaller medium companies who aren't doing these performative layoffs, who aren't in this war of who can cut more money or who's mm-hmm. the more controversial leader right now or whatever the case may be. Um, you can also look at different industries. Tech is super lucrative, especially in Silicon Valley, but it's not the only industry that pays well. And it, in a lot of cases, if you've been in tech, you've, you've had very technical jobs where you've had to learn uh, the ins and outs of a technology or or a program, and that translates to banking. That translates to pharmaceuticals, right? If you've been able to prove that you can learn the technical aspects of something, it translates. So be willing to look at different industries. And then I would say, don't just apply for jobs, right? We it is a way to get a job. Every job I ever got, except for my very first one out of college. I got through applying for the job in the standard traditional way. I'm sort of unusual in that way because a lot of people get jobs through recruiters and there's, you know, better than I do. There's a way to build a relationship with Mm -hmm. a recruiter and there's a way to send your resume to a recruiter. And then those are different. And if you build a good relationship and there's, there's a a match that recruiter is going to fight for you Um, and networking. We all have a network. We all have networks who have networks. Mm-hmm. And whether you do it through LinkedIn or whether you do it through word of mouth and everybody's, you know, proverbial Rolodex, um, there are there are people who know things and you just, you wouldn't expect them to know things, but they know things. And so, you know, reach out to your network. The variety of that makes the rejections that come in after interviews just soften a little bit. It doesn't make them better. Mm-hmm. It makes them a little less bad, right? Um, and uh, and try to offer yourself some grace. Uh, job hunting is hard. The recruiting system is broken. It became so automated, and that and now it's hard to back out of. And I think there's a, a push to back out of it and be a little bit more human about it. But we're not there. Um, and so any way that you can network with other people, any way that you can start building relationships in a really positive way, you're going to have a better chance of finding something and finding something that's actually a match for you. Okay, that's and fantastic. also, Jack, yeah. you have the right to pull out of an interview process mm-hmm. if it gets too arduous. If you're nine interviews in and you don't even want the job anymore, right. you have the right to say, hey, I'm going to I'm going to pull out at this point. This is this is too many interviews for me. 
that'd be great if you had like a little button you could press like you don't even right. have to say it just hit the button and everyone <laughs> knows oh okay I'm, Lauren I'm has out. exited the chat <laughs> yeah I'm tapping out this is it this is silly oh, we're wasting everyone's time got done you know just cut it down so yeah. I, I really love your advice this is great I mean this is perfect because one of the reasons why I love doing these LinkedIn lives and bring people like yourself on board here is because it's tough for a lot of folks. Yeah. You know, it's not easy. And I, you know, you don't know, maybe a few months, everything is great. We're back to, you know, be, you know, everything wonderful, but maybe not. So we need to share these, the, these ideas, the guidance, the career advice, you know, so people can know what to do. Uh, because I think a lot of people are just lost, especially if people have been working you know, steadily for so long, and maybe they lose their job. They don't know what to do. They haven't they haven't done this before. Now they're a little older and they're freaked out. So I think this is so valuable, you know, Lauren, to give your insights, your advice to people, and this this is going to be super helpful for a lot of folks. So I really appreciate you know you being here. And uh, before before we head out, was there maybe anything I didn't ask you that you feel you want to share with everybody? Uh, you asked great questions. I think the, the thing I would like people to walk away with is okay. you're not alone, whether you pay somebody to help you, or you have a mentor or a friend, uh, or a former colleague or a former boss, or even a current boss who's open to you <laughs> expanding your career, ask for support and be willing to receive it because we are the worst at handling our own stuff, even if we're the best at handling everyone else's stuff. You are not alone. You don't have to do this by yourself. I love you said that because most people, what happens, they think it's only them. They yes. feel, oh, woe is me. Did my boss say something negative? Am I blackballed from this industry? Is there just a cloud over my head? And they don't realize, no, this is going on. And this is another reason what's great to do these things. So people realize, oh my gosh, this is not me. This is like, everyone's going through this for the most part. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, are people finding jobs? Yeah, but it's not easy for a lot of people. It's very hard. You could be an amazing, brilliant, genius person. It's going to take a long time and you're not going to head against the wall. So I think that's such a great thing to bring. So people could, because there's some comfort in that when you realize, oh, it's not just me. This is a systemic thing that's going across. All right. I still might not have that new job, but I don't feel as bad because now I'm like, oh, okay, this is the norm. Right. Oh, I could kind of relax. You know, I could, yeah. oh, I could breathe. I thought it was all me. Yeah. You know, so so that's such really spot on advice. And I think it's very helpful for people to hear because mm -hmm. let's be frank, you probably have a lot of spouses or partners or family members or nosy neighbors who are going, oh, how can you find a job? I hear it's so easy, you know? Right. And and then you, you, you doubt yourself and your self-esteem erodes and then it's harder to interview. So I'm glad you really brought that up. So thank you so much for taking the time. Thanks for your, your pearls of wisdom. I love the fine, it's not fine concept. And I, I hope a lot of people adopt that and realize that, hey, this is not fine and I got to do something. And that's kind of the best thing where they could turn or call you up, uh, you know, a year later and say, Lauren, you know what? I saw you on that LinkedIn live and I changed my life and look where I am now. And that's like the best Love thing it. possible. Yeah. Yeah. This was such a pleasure, Jack. Thank you. Oh, you were my pleasure. awesome Look, to talk to. <laughs> Thank you. Let me hit.